we can start with the toast for the audience. We have uh, an edu action mug uh, where yes. we are enjoying our tea, and as we call it, tea and talk over edtech. Yes. That's the theme. We'll be uh, true to our time, and uh, we will make sure that uh, this session delivers value to all our audience here. Uh, the purpose of edu action is also to say that uh, instead of uh, theoretical discussions, we would like to focus on actionable and practicable insights, which the audience can take away and uh, benefit from it. So, uh, Professor RC, um, uh, let's start with the discussion for today. And uh, uh, my my first question to you is: You have had a long and illustrious career uh, spanning multiple nations. So, please walk us through your whole interaction and the gamut of uh, uh, you know learnings you have picked up on your way with regard to education and technology and the and the uh, combination thereof in your last many years of education and uh, uh, professional experiences. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Arpit. And uh, to begin with, I think congratulations on starting this very important uh, uh, talk series. And, um, and thank you for your kind introduction as well. Yes, um, I think if I um, reflect back uh, on my own professional journey, uh, it did start obviously like everybody else as a as, as a college going student, right? So as a student, I gathered my own experiences, um, uh, which started within India, Indian education system, right? After doing my masters, I went to the U.S. and uh, did my PhD, and I spent five years. And um, and of course, the education systems there, and um, uh, no, the the, uh, the the way they actually uh, use technology, it was completely uh, new to me, right? So uh, no, all the way from uh, the way you, I'm I'm sure uh, no, you you yourself uh, can understand that, right? The way you register enrollment, and uh, no, we used to call up, we used to enroll for courses on telephone. Right, so they used to say that if you want to register for this particular course, press two. So, so that was a very different experience. So, as a student, my own experience and touch with uh, technology for education kind of evolved and evolved and evolved. And uh, once I finished uh, my education, I came back to India, and uh, for, for for exactly a decade, I chose to spend uh, time in the industry. Um, you know, basically just developing software, enterprise software and things like that. But then uh, that's when I realized once the clock uh, ticked over uh, 10 years, that's when it, I, I realized that actually my true calling is in academia, right? And uh, that's when I jumped over to IIITB and I've been here ever since. And uh, so that's when um, I actually uh, fell in love with technology for education. In fact, that was my first opportunity to try to make a difference, right? Because until then it was, I was at the receiving end of the technology. And um, so when I landed up at, at, at IIITB, it was wonderful, right? So IIITB in itself, so you can imagine so about 15 years ago, uh, the institution was just eight years old and it was, it was almost in startup mode. And you can very well understand that that is the most fertile period for trying out new ideas without any barriers. So that's when, uh, to use uh, a very informal language, I kind of freaked out with uh, uh, all looking at all kinds of gadgets and technology for education. And um, uh, so that's when my, my own um, uh, exploration of technology for education started. 
And uh, along the way, you know, I picked up uh, four PhD students who have graduated working on exciting things with education technology. So I think things, uh, things have only become better and better over, over the decade. And, uh, and needless to say, right, um, uh, notwithstanding all the improvements that have happened over the years, we have to admit that uh, the, the COVID pandemic actually has uh, opened up uh, you know, uh, the, the chinks in the armory, if I can use that term, because it, it kind of uh, shows to us that uh, it actually showed two things, right? So one is that the inevitability of uh, using educa uh, technology for managing education. I mean, it, was now, it has now become a non-negotiable. So now once it has taken that kind of an importance, obviously that also brings out lots of uh, unseen use cases and the challenges which were hitherto not seen. Uh, but, uh, but as a researcher in that particular area, it is, uh, it is an exciting uh, period of uh, working on opportunities. So it's, it's been a, a wonderful journey for me uh, looking at this. And um, as I said, things are only looking up and I also believe there's still a lot more to be done. All right. Uh, so, you know, I, there has been multiple tools, multiple uh, uh, technology paradigms that you would have interacted with and engaged with over the years. For our audience today, and um, as we said, we want to uh, give people a real insight. Um, what are the three biggest learnings with regard to adoption of technology in an institution mm -hmm. that you would like to share with with our with our uh, audience today i think that's a that's a very good question now it's now it only becomes a, the challenge is to pick up what those top 3 are so what i will do is i'll probably try to abstract that a little bit because um, this also depends upon the uh, the technology maturity of the institution as well because um, because as a and, and and that is that's there's nothing wrong with that right because uh, traditionally education institutions the primary goal is to impart education and uh, if you are able to if you have students in front of you and then if you have a teacher right so that's all that is what they are supposed to be doing extremely well but uh, as it turns out that uh, in my view there are uh, attention has to be given to three broad areas right so what i call as um, Academic administration is one. Second is uh, academic, the delivery, right? So the delivery of uh, learning. And the third is assessments, right? So these are, uh, I think, broadly, one should uh, have a strategy and roadmap and, uh, and your own wish list and tool list organized into the, these three categories, right? So let me clarify each one of them and spend a couple of minutes on that, right? So let me go to the one that everybody uh, can relate to very well, especially during these times, which is education delivery, correct? So when you, when you talk about education delivery, it's all about how do you, what kind of uh, uh, teaching aids are you are at your disposal to be an effective teacher, to impart education, right? So you have the teachers on the one side, in fact, right? So teachers, are no longer supposed to be the, the ones or the know-all kind of a people. They are the ones who are supposed to be facilitators, right? So you have the teachers on one side and then you have the learners on the other side. So when you want to make that dialogue effective, 
right so uh, one may one may be left thinking oh okay so i need tools and technologies only when i am doing online classes so that the first myth that i want to uh, debunk saying that um, uh, even when you are doing face to face in classroom classes one must pay attention to what kind of a, a role technology can play in uh, to enable one to be an effective teacher in to be effective in delivering right so which is where all those initiatives of smart classrooms and things like that that everybody would have uh, heard of that would come in handy right it is it is perfectly okay you now i still know of professors who say that no just give me a, a blackboard and a chalk i'm i'm very happy to teach i mean with, with all due respects to them definitely uh, that that is good but now if if you add a, a touch of uh, technology to that let me take that as an example i can still continue to give uh, something to write in the hand of the teacher which is not a chalk but a stylus and then not a blackboard but a, but a smart board but then the teacher continues to teach the way they love teaching because it's so it's important to keep the teachers happy right so they have to be within their comfort zone but the moment you make this particular tool available to them then they are able to write whatever they want and uh, they don't have to erase ever and the same thing at a, at a click of a button it can be saved as a class notes and it can be shared with the learners with the students so the students not are not frantically writing away without paying attention to what is being said so you can just imagine right so just this one simple technology aid can transform this whole learning experience both for the teacher as well as the uh, as the student so so uh, so the my point is that uh, so we have to keep our eyes and ears open as to what are technology to enhance this learning delivery process okay because as i'm not even equating this to online of course when you bring in online into this picture that adds it uh, its own additional dynamics so that is the uh, something that is something that probably everybody should adapting if you if, if institutions are looking to adapt technology i would say that the first step is probably to try to make your classroom smart okay uh, and there are many ways tools technologies uh, that are available and uh, the the second important aspect comes administration right so uh, because these days when we when we talk about uh, uh, you know all the all the paperwork that goes into uh, registering for classes and so on uh, again so i i am able to contrast my own experience when i was studying in india versus the time when i went to the us right so uh, so the the when you bring in technology for academic administration it uh, it definitely improves uh, efficiency and it reduces errors these are the two most important elements as to why um, uh, the aid of technology should be taken for academic administration right so errors are not made there is no spelling mistake in the in the transcript that is given right i mean there is there is accountability there is security etc etc we can keep talking about that so uh, so that is probably the, the in the second level of maturity i think that is something that everybody must look at and uh, when i am talking about academic administration depending upon the nature of the institution uh, there could be uh, there could be many systems that need to be put in place again i want to clarify here that uh, academic administration is not a, not a single function 
right? So we we know it can be all the way from managing the finances to uh, to enrollment to managing the people, hostel, grades, transcripts, certificates, the whole gamut of things, right? So which is why very interestingly um, there are a um, uh, lot of um, packaged software that is emerging, right? Including, I know I do want to mention uh, the Academia software, which IIITB is also using. So this family of software is referred to as academic ERP, right? For those who are not familiar, so ERP itself, enterprise resource planning is a traditional, uh, is, a, is a term that has been used for a very long time, primarily for, uh, for enterprises and um, and specifically manufacturing, so that's where it all started. But then, uh, so the, the whole idea is to provide an integrated view of the entire enterprise. But then it also turns out that the way an education institution is administered is very different from the way a company is administered. So which is where your traditional ERP kind of a software uh, may not uh, be very useful. So you may have to look for what is referred to as an academic ERP, which is focused on students, teachers, how they do their work, what is the processes, approvals, and stuff like that. So that is the second important piece, which is your academic uh, uh, no, ERP for academic administration, right? And then the third piece in uh, which is called assessments, okay? Uh, where, what role can assessments uh, what role can technology play in the assessment space? Okay, so uh, so just to uh, use the more colloquial term for assessments is examinations, right? So when we talk about examinations, so there are uh, there are incredible amount of uh, administrative activities that are involved in examinations, and just and that a majority of that can get absorbed under academic administration. But when I'm using the term called assessment, it's the actual process of conducting the exam or the students writing the exam, the uh, they turning in their answers and the answers getting evaluated, graded, and then marks awarded, students trying to see their uh, reports, uh, raise objections, right? So there's a whole gamut of things that universities are obligated to do. So uh, what role can technology play? So this is definitely an emerging area right now, uh, you know, all the way from, uh, you know, uh, automated assessments to assisted, assisted assessments and so on. So, uh, you know, but there are lots of interesting solutions. For example, uh, at IIITB itself, you know, just before the uh, uh, pandemic forced us to shut down the campus, we used to use a very interesting gadget, uh, which is like a custom built tablet for students to write the exam. So what happens is, you know, uh, students, the, the question paper gets displayed and students write the exam right there. And once the exam is over, it gets uploaded to the cloud immediately. And they are available for grading anytime, anywhere. Just imagine, just imagine the, the improvement in efficiencies I can get rather than carrying out, you no know, carrying, collecting bundles and bundles of paper. Again, efficiency and room for error. Both these are, you no, know, efficiency goes up errors are eliminated. So that is a whole uh, gamut of uh, technologies that are there that are emerging. And, but I think if you, if you talk about all three of them, yes, I think the most mature is the classroom, uh, the teaching aids and so on, which has been there for a long time. Uh, but something that has uh, currently achieved fair amount of uh, 
uh, maturity are the academic administration software, uh, uh, academic ERP, and what is uh, work in progress and evolving and improving are the assessment class. So that would be the uh, third category of, uh, of uh, uh, software. I think these are if uh, institutions want to embrace technology, I think you should kind of put it in these three buckets and start checking off things that you want to do there. Wonderful. Uh, that's yeah. quite comprehensive a framework. I, I'll call it the ADA framework, which is academic administration, academic delivery and assessments, as you said. And I think that captures very well the uh, 360 degree needs of institutions today and a plethora of solutions that are available in each of these three buckets. So I understand you have played in this entire spectrum for your own institution or as a teacher yourself, etc. cetera. Uh, what are, uh, moving on, I mean, what are, let's say two or three most important things to keep in mind when you're adopting these kind of solutions? So what, what must educators who are part of this um, audience today or uh, education leaders, or even um, let's say uh, students for that matter, what must be kept in mind at a macro level to make sure that the adoption of these tools is successful based on your experience? Great question. I think uh, uh, that's a wonderful question because um, I'm, I can, we can always, I mean, I'm sure you also sense that people always must be saying, you know, it is easier said than done, right? All the three things that I talked about, I think that's a wonderful question, right? I think the topmost thing is to um, take on board the stakeholders who are involved. Because for each of those three things that we talked about, um, we have to look at the stakeholders who are impacted by that, right? So each one you take, right? So you take academic administration. So if we don't take faculty members on board, right? Then you are in for big trouble. What do we mean by taking them on board? Taking them on board means, so ensuring that um, they are comfortable with the technology that is being given, right? So they are provided sufficient training. They are uh, no, given uh, sufficient heads up. And of course, they are also provided, ensure that they are uh, provided sufficient assistance, right? Because in, in many places, so there could be very senior uh, uh, professors uh, who may not have time to, uh, to go through it. Because uh, one of the important things about uh, many of these, uh, when the moment you bring in technology is that everything is data driven, right? So if there is no data that is coming in, the system just cannot function. And so there you may run into challenges wherein some uh, very busy professors may not have time to upload all the data. Then the institution must make sure that they are given help in the form of assistants or whoever who can feed in the data on behalf of the professors, right? Because that is, uh, if, you, if they don't get your their data plan, data acquisition plan, I think it's going to fail. And uh, so you, you can either get the data by taking the stakeholders on board or you provide them sufficient assistance, right? If you don't do either one of them, then it is bound to fail. So I think uh, bringing uh, a very good understanding of what all the stakeholders involved in whatever you are trying to do and taking them on board. So taking them on board includes making it easy for them and providing them with sufficient training. I think that is probably an extremely important step. All right, so I think, um, you know, there's a very nice framework that we also use internally, it's called the ADCAR framework. And, uh, you know, many of these technology tools 
when they are adopted, they form part of change uh, of an institution. And there's oftentimes resistance from various stakeholders. And your point of taking people along, training them well, making them comfortable, handling their concerns if there are any is absolutely well taken. And I believe that goes a long way in making sure that there is bang for buck or return on investment when indeed that technology goes live. Absolutely. You know, and one of my favorite authors, Robin Sharma, said that all change is uh, hard at the start, messy in the middle and gorgeous at the end. Wow. So that, that messy in the middle part has to be handled really well uh, by techniques that you suggested of training, taking people along, etc. So a uh, point very well taken, Prof. R.C. Um, a flip side to this question, what should one not do at all when they're adopting change or technology tools like these? Any, any, so what is an absolute no-no from your side? Wow, that's a good question. Um, what is an absolute no? I think if um, there has to be a champion, Okay, so one has to identify a champion uh, who will drive this. And without having that particular champion driving these changes, I think that's a big no-no. I think, you see, notwithstanding all the good intentions that the senior management might be having, right? So, for example, right, so they, I'm sure all of, uh, you know, everybody is ready to learn and um, you know, all the audience who are here, they are also here to learn, uh, you know, what are the exciting things that are happening. But then uh, that is good uh, for, uh, for, for saying that, okay, these are good things to do. But then if you don't identify uh, a champion who will do this, then it will be a dead investment. I think uh, that is something that I, I want to be a bit blunt about. So we have to have, um, I mean, taking the stakeholders along and all that is anyway there. But then you need a champion to drive this. You need that champion to talk to those stakeholders and take them along. Because if you ask the vendor to do that, that's not going to work. If you, if you expect that the management is trying to invest a lot, more, a lot of money and then you, you put the blame, uh, I would not say the blame, but at least you shift the responsibility on the service provider and then say that, okay, come on, take us on board. That's not going to work. I think if you ask me, the biggest no-no would be absence of a uh, uh, champion. Yeah. Well said. So I think uh, every initiative, large or small, needs a champion and someone who can take the accountability, yes. uh, drive forward with all the resistance or the obstacles that might yes. come in. And I think, uh, again, a very, very valid point. You talked of the dependence on vendor, but that dovetails very beautifully into my next question, that a lot of technology that people adopt, uh, you know, is primarily being bought from external vendors. Although institutions today do have some sort of smaller teams, uh, uh, at least the mid to large size institutions, uh, small institutions would typically not have an internal IT team or a technology team. Uh, and they would have to rely on a vendor for getting some of these uh, technology adoptions going in their institution. Uh, how does one go about selecting the right vendor when you're evaluating any tool or technology that you want to adopt? Um, how have you gone about at ITB or in your own personal capacity? Um, what are the things you look for? Again, what are the uh, traps that you look for? Um, you know, how can we uh, 
give give these these insights to our audience today i think that's a very, that's a very good question and that's a very important question as well because uh, uh, at the end of the day i think uh, even before i answer that specific question which is assuming that uh, one may want to go for go with a vendor but uh, even before uh, you do that they may there may be questions saying that should i go with the vendor or should i do it in house right so the classic build versus buy kind of a uh, quandary will be there and um, i i would i would imagine that in general today the technology thanks to lots of newer technologies my answer might probably have been slightly different uh, sometime back but today with all the cloud technology uh, that is there with computing powers uh, available on the on tap and uh, you know all the software as a uh, service kind of paradigms which are emerging pay as you use right so all these things have made uh, it extremely attractive not to build software on your own right so i think uh, uh, due to uh, because one of the uh, uh, one of the main reasons why i am saying that is um, that that is not the core competency of an education institution and i can say that even being an institution of information technology we ourselves though are not interested in doing that because obviously we, our core interest okay now maybe i should not even be using core competency but the my core function is different right so even the competency is there but that's not my function i am not a software development shop right i don't want to ma manage large software development teams and things like that i am an education institution so i would rather uh, uh, that is probably you can consider this as my opinion uh, because there might be uh, other opinions as well on that one so assuming that we would want to go with a service provider uh, and a vendor and things like that so what are the things that you want to uh, look for right um, uh, i think this is uh, in fact if that is the path you are taking that is exactly where you should start involving stakeholders right from the beginning so you should form uh, one should form a committee which will bring in these different perspectives uh, right so a representative from the administration a representative from the finance or of course uh, some professors who will be actually teaching and so on so setting up of that uh, multi uh, uh, responsibility committee would be a great starting point right so once you have that and uh, then it it boils down to looking for different features that are of interest to my institution what are the different functions and and things like that but in terms of uh, what do you look for in a vendor i would rather talk okay in fact we should, we can split that into two right what do you look for in the product and what do you look for in the vendor because i i believe these two are different because you may be having a great product but if the vendor is not up to the mark it can be disaster right on the other hand even if the product is not up to the mark but if you have extremely supportive vendor you can actually shake things up right it will i mean sooner or later it's going to measure up right but the other way it, it, it's a no go right so they, if you have a great product if, you, if if there's nobody available to support you to you get the best out of it i don't think that will be a good investment right so so what do we look for in the product that's very interesting that's very interesting yeah because uh, yeah what do you look for in the product i mean there are so many cheat sheets available right so what do you look for what features are important 
but in education institutions. I don't think that's the difficult part, right? And it's only a question of taking that big laundry list, sit with your committee, you prioritize what is it that important for our institution, and then you bombard those questions to the vendor, right? So you get the response and, uh, and then you can take your call, right? But the second element is to evaluate the vendor themselves, right? So which is because, uh, especially this is, uh, we should understand that this is expected to be a long-term journey, right? This is not so, this is not like a one-time product we are buying. It's not like a desktop product. It's not like a PDF converter. You know, you install it, you run it. Yeah, 99.99% of them, it's going to do the job because it's going, doing, going to do only one thing. Right? And, uh, and uh, a, a larger piece of software on which your entire institution is going to rely on is not going to be like that. So um, I'm, I'm actually embarrassed to be saying as a software professional myself that unfortunately software is never perfect. Okay. Uh, in fact, many of my uh, uh, colleagues who work in aerospace engineering, they actually say that, you know, I mean, he says it's unbelievable that you guys are able to get away by saying that, you know, your software is... Uh, uh, no, 95% bug free. I mean, this aerospace is saying, I mean, I can't say that. I mean, there's only 5% of the chance that the plane will crash, right? <laughs> they cannot afford to do that. But anyway, so, uh, but yeah, that's that's my profession. I apologize <laughs> on behalf of uh, the software professionals out there. But so given that, given that there are likely to be gaps, it need not necessarily be defects, right? So we are, we are saying there could be gaps between what the what the institution wants versus what the product is able to provide. So how do you bridge that gap? The, to bridge that gap, the vendor and the uh, institution has to talk, right? So there has to be a very mature uh, uh, understanding between the two parties to understand uh, the vendor to understand the pain points of the institution, and at the at the same time, the institution also has to be sympathetic to uh, to the uh, to the issues and the complexities that the software has to deal with, right? So, so that, that establishing that kind of a rapport is extremely important. So, to that extent, having a very good support structure, for example, right? I'm not saying it has to be 24 bar seven and things like that. If I mean, if it is an international kind of an institution, yeah, we can uh, definitely talk to the vendor about that, but. What we are saying is, you no, know, there has to be some kind of a very responsive uh, kind of a person who are not very strictless to rules saying that, okay, I had an SLA of uh, uh, whatever, uh, 12 hours, so why are you calling me up? Because it's only 10 hours now for, for a response, right? So, so you no, know, uh, with that kind of an understanding, so having getting a good product is definitely important. Uh, but getting good service is equally important as well, which is where the second part is managed with a good uh, by having a good vendor, and of course the first uh, uh, the features and everything is managed by having a good product. So Sounds good. I'll just delve a little deeper into this. So uh, I understand you've emphasized when it comes to the vendor the ability to provide support, but when you're initially choosing a vendor, let's say there are many solutions being bought in today's world, ERPs, LMSs, uh, smart classes, some focus software on, let's say, conducting surveys or, uh, uh, you know, admissions and email softwares, communications. They, there's an explosion in the edtech world, right, right now. Um, so the support is one part which uh, can be discussed by institutions at the start. But what else do they also look at when they are evaluating the vendor upfront? 
because sometimes these investments can be very expensive, not only from an upfront cost perspective, but also the time that an institution goes to invest to implement. Absolutely. And if that doesn't go right, then there is much at uh, loss for the institution. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I think that's a exactly. So the ability to support, obviously, as you said, is just one aspect of it. But at a, from a larger perspective, we need a vendor who is uh, stable, right? So we don't want a fly by night kind of a people who deliver the software and then who are um, um, who are themselves not sure whether they will be around or not, right? So that is probably a huge risk. So which is why. Uh, in most of the, uh, especially because since, as you also mentioned in my introduction, so I do serve in a lot of committees and uh, wherein uh, formal tenders are written. So uh, the financial stability of the company, for example, is one of the important parameters that shows uh, how uh, stable that company is and uh, how likely they are uh, to partner with you in the, in the long term. As I said, it is just not a you know, vendor-customer relationship we are talking about. So we should be looking at more as a partnership here. That's a very, very good point that kind of escaped my attention. Thank you for that. Sounds great. Uh, thanks for that. Um, if I do a quick time check, we're about uh, six to eight minutes left now. So let me get into some of the other sectors and maybe you could give us a quick um, view on that from your side. So. Uh, the Indian tech sector is booming right now. You look at incredible funding coming in, great adoption at the grassroots level, uh, edtech adoption going to tier two, tier three, tier four cities as well with the mobile penetration that has happened. Um, there is a massive surge in, uh, if I go by looking at valuations of companies like Baiju's, et cetera. I also look at it on the ground around me where uh, you know, the mothers are teaching their kids sitting at home on mobile phones. There's a, there's just technology all around us and which has obviously been accelerated by the pandemic situation. Uh, do you think it's a bubble or is it here to stay? I think it is here to stay. I'll tell you why. This is something, uh, because I think this, this disruption, whatever we are talking about has lasted long enough for us to get used to it. Okay, so now, now that we are already used to it, right? So you already must be seeing lots of uh, fun WhatsApp videos wherein the kids saying that, no, I don't want to go to school now, right? right. I, honestly, let me straight away tell you that's a very bad idea. So I think kids should definitely go to school. We are talking more in the higher education space, right? So uh, in the higher education space, uh, definitely I think the whatever technologies we have been seeing around, it will stay. Okay, I don't think it's going anywhere. Now, uh, it, is, uh, it is entirely up to the education institutions to figure out a way to live with it. Uh, because I will also tell you, uh, I will also back this statement with a couple of interesting things, right? So if, uh, I mean, I'm sure education institutions more than uh, uh, corporates would be tracking this, right? As to what UGC has been doing, what AICT has been doing. So UGC is now uh, uh, formally legitimizing online degrees now, right? So now they are permitting universities to offer 100% online degrees, right? IIT Madras is offering BSc, which was unthinkable some time back, right? So I think that is that is proof enough for me that it is here to stay. I think that I don't really think there's anything more for me to add there. Um, yeah, it's going sounds to good. All right. Um, so this 
ed tech sector boom is here to stay is what uh, Professor R.C. feels. My next question is, um, before we uh, go into the last round with some interesting questions, if we do some crystal ball uh, you know, gazing, uh, Professor R.C., how would classrooms look like in 2025? Can you kind of paint that uh, picture for us and for the audience here? Okay, uh, that's an excellent, excellent question. So in 2025, the way I see it, online uh, degree granting programs will become legal for sure. Okay. Okay. So what will that, uh, the what that will do is this, uh, we only keep uh, talking about uh, lifelong learning more euphemistically and uh, more as a figure of speech. Lifelong learning will become a reality. Okay, tangible lifelong learning will be a reality. So, which means that, uh, you know, upskilling and so people will no longer have to, you know, this whole uh, 10 plus 2 plus 4 plus. So that probably will get broken sooner or later. Okay. It is very interesting uh, for those who are not familiar and I'm sure uh, you understand that uh, this thing got broken in the Western education long time back. Right. So right. we do, we have seen, right. So 50 year old coming and sitting in the class, uh, for uh, going back to school, right? So uh, a lot of uh, you know, micro education will become a reality, right? It will not, it will no longer be about spending two years or four years in engineering education and then walking out with a degree and uh, you know, at the end of the four years in one go. So this whole thing in terms of micro education, because even the, uh, the national education policy already talks about micro credits. Right, so uh, now people uh, in, by 2025, uh, and you talk about it, I think that is really going to be a new thing. Universities will be forced to offer micro credits, right? So people will be able to uh, uh, collect uh, uh, these credits from anywhere. And all of these credit transfers across universities, everything is going to be enabled by technology. Without technology, we cannot do it, but that's, that's, that is probably what I would think will happen. Makes sense. Uh, some nice insights there. And I think uh, just for the audience, uh, I'm sure many of you are aware that the national education policy uh, tries to bring in some of this uh, flexibility that Professor R.C. was referring to in terms of a 10 plus 2 plus 3 kind of a structure being further uh, made flexible and not very straight jacketed as it stands today. So uh, fair points, uh, Professor R.C. Now we go to the Last round, before I open it up for questions for the audience, uh, uh, interestingly, like every show that involves tea and talk, it should end with a rapid fire is what my sense uh -oh. is. And uh, so let's do some quick rapid fire with you, uh, Professor R.C. Um, uh, so what uh, time of the day are you most productive? Mornings, early morning. Early mornings, like a true professor, I would say. Um, <laughs> What's the best technology tool you have used personally in your personal life? Learning management systems excite me the most. The potential of learning management systems excite me the most. And most, if you want me to name the tool, it is Moodle. Moodle, many people, yeah, it's incredible. Anyway, it's rapid fire, so I'm not supposed to clarify. What's the best technology tool you have used professionally? Although this Moodle part would come in, uh, it's, it's an overlap there, but any other technology tool that 
you believe okay, if i can go back to the previous question then mobile technology is probably the most one that has excited me okay from a professional point of view it is moodle moodle all right which institution across the globe are you inspired by and why so we'll add the why just uh you know it's anti-rapid fire but still we'd like to know that's a that's a tough one that's a tough one um Arpit. um which institution see um in general um as a nation also i i think uh, we don't have to be ashamed of the system leading western institution right um, from the especially from the us and so on so uh, i it uh, it always the whole education system actually fascinates me okay i don't even have to name a specific institution because the uh, uh, the de the diversity that it provides for people to learn i know what bothers me the most in the in the current education system is this the word you use is straight jacketing right so that is the extreme so i think we have to break those shackles and i admire all institutions which give you an opportunity to break those shackles wonderful thought that uh, and final rapid fire is what words have inspired you or continue to inspire you change change is the only constant so right. so that is something that uh, that i always keep telling myself so if any surprise comes my way, I said, okay, time to change and don't be surprised that it is a change. I think that's something that keeps inspiring me. Wonderful. So we are on time now. Uh, I think there are some uh, great insights uh, that uh, Professor RC has offered us today, uh, starting with his ADA framework for uh, you know, automation and then talking about the various challenges, the learnings when adopting technology, the people part of it, making uh, people around comfortable taking them along, uh, you know, as 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 techy as it may sound, but it has to be, uh, you know, people first. Uh, whenever there is a technology initiative that is adopted within an institution as well, so some great thoughts and then his own personal um, uh, thoughts on the tools that he has used. So we are open to now uh, questions from the audience. Uh, we'll probably have. Uh, one or two questions and then close for the day. Uh, as I said, we'll be true to our time in EduAction uh, with Arpit. So uh, any questions from the audience, you can chite it, uh, type it in on your chat uh, bot here. I see uh, Dr. PSV Ramana Rao, Dr. Sheelan Mishra, any questions from you? Uh, I'm just going with the doctors first, Dr. Sandeep Petkar. You're the smartest ones in the room. And then there is the other audience. Okay, I got one on my direct message. Um, so Professor RC, this is for you. Um, how, what should teachers be ready for as they move forward in the next few years? Because a lot of teachers are across the, um, you know, uh, different yeah. age brackets and there is that propensity to adopt new tools, et cetera, varies. But what should they be ready for as, as we progress in this? 
great, uh, technology explosion and uh, uh, you know what i think that's a uh, that's a wonderful question because um, what i see what i have seen the the ease with which the teachers have adapted the during this pandemic period it's amazing i mean i'm not talking about higher education i'm talking about school teachers here right so which kind of goes on to show that um, it is just possible so our um, uh, man of salute to our teachers if they apply their mind to anything they they have shown that it is possible so uh, so what, what does it need all it needs is an open mind right i think um, i will not say you need to know how to use computers you need to know how to do this so those things can be learned the willingness to learn and adapt i think as i said change and change yourself i think that is probably the most important thing and uh, everything will fall in place because i mean you may be wondering okay so if i don't have the technology what do i do yeah i know of lots of institutions which the institutions have provided them with the necessary gadgets right so i don't think that should be the worry i think uh, yeah willing be open be willing to learn i th i think you'll do wonderfully well sounds great there are last two questions i see one from uh, miss urbi she asks uh what are your thoughts on the digital divide and she says that many say the national education policy is a farce what are your thoughts on this um yeah what is the solution to digital divide i do, i think to the solution is to bridge the divide right and uh, and efforts are constantly being made right and as mr arpit also mentioned uh, uh, in the beginning uh very interesting the drivers for that bridging that digital divide is actually not coming from the government it's coming from the people in terms of the adoption of mobile right if somebody the the mobile penetration has really changed the game for the country and uh, that is what is actually laying the path and bridging that particular divide right Uh, because i do know of uh, um, our own higher education students who have gone on to remote places where they don't have this uh, classic fiber optic network coming into their places but then the mobile technology is is um, uh, keeping them afloat right so i think the digital divide uh, there is constantly innovations that are happening and uh, sooner or later i think uh, uh, that divide will uh, come down rapidly right because All right. yeah yeah and last and, question is from sorry and, go ahead and, and sorry i think the for the other part uh, i know nep 2020 is a farce i think it's uh, definitely a debatable kind of a point i think i would like to disagree on that yeah okay last question is from sudendu he asks how do you learn technology considering yourself as a student because mostly you teach technology as a teacher yeah i mean so that, that's why it is um, uh, there's no need to be embarrassed is one thing um uh, there are many things that um, i actually call my own student and say that no you in fact right so the, obviously they are the ones who are a lot more comfortable right so many times i just call my son to figure out you know how do you do this thing right so uh, don't be uh, uh, i don't know just be open and be frank and uh, learn right so no matter from whom the learning is coming i think that should be great that wraps up our questions uh, for today uh thank you to the audience who has joined us uh, and uh, uh spent their time on a friday evening and special thanks obviously to professor rc for all the insights that have been provided to us today in this wonderful first session of edu action with arpit barjatia 
Um, I uh, would like to thank you once again and, uh, you know, uh, accept in spirit, uh, you know, a bouquet uh, from our side, which, uh, you know, there's no digital version of with us right now. But I'm sure there's a lot to um, learn, a lot to do in the coming times. And uh, there's a great new opportunity that uh, these times have presented and a time for all of us, as Professor R.C. also pointed out, to be a student at all times without any hangups. So on that wonderful note, I think I'll uh, end the session for today. Thank you once again for your time and take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye from EduAction. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye.